0: I want to read another passage of Scripture to you, a prayer Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And as I said about the previous Scripture that we quoted or read, this is as applicable to us as it was to the Christians in Ephesus. Listen to this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, God is able, to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Great word of promise to us His people.
1: Come to you and you alone. I bear the deepest part of me, Lord, to you alone. I trust that you will always be my guide in all I do. I bring my best and all the rest. To you and lay them down Serve you only with all my heart. My life, my home, my family, I dedicate to you to teach your love and saving power. Because your word is true, and pray that in the years to come, my family will show the path that leads to Jesus Christ so others come to know. With all my heart. To love you, Lord, and to live my life Each day to know you more All that is in me is yours completely I'll serve you only with all my heart Face before I seek your hand and trust you know what's best for me when I don't understand and follow in obedience in every circumstance.
0: beautiful so appropriate inspiring thank you very very much Um, two men were having coffee and uh, they got to talking and one of the two mentioned church and his friend with whom he was drinking coffee said you you don't go to church do you sure I go to church you think I'm I'm a heathen or something Uh, well I'm surprised Uh, I bet you five dollars you don't even know the Lord's prayer and the fellow said well I'll cover that bet and he took out his money and said put it out here on the table so they both put their five dollar bills out there and the fellow who had challenged him said okay let me hear you say the Lord's prayer I'll do it now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The other fellows said, "By George, I didn't think you knew it." Here's my five dollars. <laughs> well, I came across a couple of new versions of that prayer that I think you would enjoy. Now, this one particularly appropriate for students; those of you in, here for the Baptist Student Ministry, and those of you. Uh, in school, whatever grade you might be in. Here's a prayer. Now I lay me down to rest. I hope I pass tomorrow's test. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I have to take. (laughs) And here's one written specifically for deacons. Now I lay me down to sleep. The sermon's boring and the subject deep. If I should snore before I wake, please poke me for heaven's sake. <laughs> Isn't that terrific? Well, you know the fellow may not have gotten the Lord's Prayer correctly, and you and I know it, what's called the Lord's Prayer Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. Do you realize, I'm sure you do, that you can know the Lord's Prayer and not know anything about the Lord? We can grow up memorizing it, hearing it in church so frequently that it becomes a part of our vocabulary. It's one thing to know the Lord's Prayer. It's something altogether different and a thousand times more important that you know the Lord. Do you know the one you're talking to? Do you know him personally? We can also know the Lord's prayer. We can also know the Lord as Savior. But I'm afraid there are many Christians who do not know him as Lord. As Lord of life. Nearly every time in the scripture when you read the statement about Jesus being our Savior nearly always it's accompanied by Lord and Savior. Surely He's going to save us from our sins. Surely He's going to be our Savior. Surely He's going to take us to heaven with Him when we die. But He wants to be more than that in our lives. He wants to do some saving now, and He does that by our making Him the Lord of life in the present. To make Him Lord of life in the present will empower us and help provide us with inner strength, like Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, which we read a moment ago, will provide us with inner strength so that when the time of testing comes, as it will inevitably in everyone's life, when the time of trial comes, when the storm comes, even though we can't see it approaching, know that it's out there in life somewhere, sometime, the clouds will come, what the prayer to the living Lord will do if we know him as Lord, if we acknowledge him as Lord, if we pray to him regularly as our Lord and Savior, he will fortify us inwardly for the facing of the vicissitudes of daily life. Now there's an incredible example of this in the scripture. Jesus had been with his disciples in the upper room. They came out of the upper room after observing the Passover and instituting the Lord's Supper. They came out. They walked across the Temple Mount. They walked out the gate beautiful, down the hill, across the Brook Kedron, and up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was there to pray. And he told his disciples, he said, buddies, look, I I need your help. I need you to pray for me. You've been my friends for three years. and We've been through a lot together, but The storm is coming. Now, he knew it was. The disciples probably thought it was, but they put that out of their minds. They didn't want to believe that was even going to happen. So he said, I want you to stay awake. I want you to watch and pray for me. And then he took the three with him. Peter, James, and John went a little further. And I get this microphone hooked up again here. Went a little further and he told Peter, James and John, he said, now guys, you're close to me and I to you and I love you, but I need you to pray for me. And then he went a little further and the scripture says, it doesn't, it's impossible to accurately translate the word. What it says is that Jesus threw himself on the ground. It wasn't like he just quietly knelt there beside a rock. It's almost a violent word. He just threw himself on the ground and he began to pray. And you read that in the book of John. And he came back to check with his friends and they were asleep. And he waked them up and he said to them, i read it to you. Keep watching. This is from the 14th chapter of Mark. You can read it in other gospels. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed. He came back and found them asleep. And he said, look, guys, pray for me. Stay awake and pray. Stay awake and pray. Be alert and pray. They didn't. They went back to sleep. And so when they came to arrest Jesus, who was the calm one? Who was the confident one? It was Jesus. He said, who are you looking for? He said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, well, here am I. He said, why did you come out here with all those swords and spears? He knew the hour had come and he was prepared for it because he had talked with the Father. Do you know what happened to the disciples? They came apart. In fact, Simon Peter got up and started a fight. And then... When they took Jesus away, what happened to them? They disappeared like the dew before the morning sunrise. The Bible says they all forsook him and fled. Why? Because they did not stay alert to the presence of God through prayer in their daily lives. So when the storm hit, they ran. When the storm hit, they cratered. When the storm hit, they lost control. Now Jesus is not telling us not to to stay up all night and pray. What he is saying is, like Paul said, to to pray without ceasing. He didn't say we're to keep saying prayers without ceasing. What he was saying was, keep yourself in such an attitude that a relationship to God is never out of context with where you are and what you're doing. Always be open to. Always be sensitive to. Always be aware of the presence of God, both actually and potentially in your life, enforcing, reinforcing within you His Spirit to prepare you for the vicissitudes of life when they come, because they will. They will. One of the problems that you and I, I think, uh, have as Christians is that we do not realize that God initiates everything. God initiates everything. He created the world out of nothing. God created. God made. God breathed into us the breath of life. God so loved the world. God. What happens in a lot of our Christian lives is that we get hooked up on our own egocentricity and we make ourselves the subject of the sentence. I then the verb, and then an object. I want this. I need that. And because we so center ourselves upon this, in fact, you can go back and read the prayer of the Pharisee and the publican. You know, when Jesus, the two men went up to to pray, one was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. The Pharisee said, oh, I I give my tithe, I do this, I do this. Six different times he uses that personal pronoun I. I, 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 I. That's our problem, big I. We put it first. We make it the subject of the sentence. God is to be the subject of the sentence. We are the object. It was God who created us. It was God who came in person to us. It is God who loves us. And if we keep putting ourselves first, putting our wants out there on the table first before we acknowledge his lordship, his majesty, his sovereignty, then our sentences are always going to be mixed up. God takes the initiative. The reason you and I are here today is not primarily because we decided to come, but I believe it was in God's plan for you to be here. I don't believe it's an accident that any person is here. God initiates our praying as we talked about last week. He prays with us, in us, through us, through his spirit, in words that we cannot even utter, words that we can never even express but the deep feelings of our hearts and our spirits. So always remember, God is the subject of the verb. God seeks. God loves. God forgives. God encourages God supports God begin your prayer your life with God watch and pray because if you don't you're going to be defeated the time comes you will hit the road so prayer prepares us for the storms of life however large or small they may be for they inevitably come at one time or another As the old Spanish proverb states, there is no home which does not at some time know its hush. Be ready by being in touch with God, being open to God, the subject, who wants to objectify himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Not only does he... Prepare us, and not only does he initiate, but he creates within us a new nature. A new nature. You know, when you and I were born, we had the natural man, as the Bible talks about. Basically selfish, self-centered, upset, angry, covetous. All of the things that characterize selfishness. That that's the way we were made. That is part of us. That's our basic human nature. Okay. When we are born again, we become a new person in Christ Jesus. But the old nature doesn't go away. We now have a new nature in our lives. We now have a new person within us, and it's the new person of Christ that's in there within us. But when we accept him as Savior, we become just babies. And babies are weak. And so here is this new person inside of me that, that is weak in comparison to the old natural man that I've been feeding and fostering over here for all these years. Use the body as an example. Suppose when you're born, you put your left arm in a sling and you don't use it. You get to be about 12, 15, 18, 20 years of age. All you've done is use your right arm. And then one day, your right brain speaks to you and you say, "Uh uh-oh, I have a new nature here. Something else has come into my life. I have a left arm. I have a left side. I have another nature. Well, you take that left arm out of the sling. You've never used it before. Are you going to be able to arm wrestle with yourself and win? Obviously obviously not. This old arm is going to be so strong that it can overcome this weak baby arm anytime. So what do you and I need to do? We need to concentrate upon building up the spirit of God within us so he will be able to contend against the evil one, the tempter, the devil, when he comes to assault us, which he inevitably will. And that's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we worship. Not to try to get to God, not to try to overcome God's reluctance, but to let God have his way in our lives to pour into us his strength so that we we will be enforced by his Holy Spirit, reinforced by his Holy Spirit so that when temptation comes, we will be able to resist and not to succumb to it because the temptation will come. It will always come. Doesn't make a difference how good a Christian you are, the old nature is still there. And you know what it'll do? It'll hide back there in the corners. It will hide behind the door. And it'll wait to a propitious moment, to a vulnerable, vulnerable, susceptible moment. And it will slip out and he will slip out and he will try to overcome the spiritual person that's within you. So that's why we need one another. That's why we need to pray for one another. That's why we don't need to go to sleep in terms of love for other people and concern for other people and prayers for other people. You know what happens? After you've been a Christian a good while and you feel like you've grown some and you've gotten stronger, a subtle kind of spiritual pride can set in. Kind of like, man, I've got it. I've got it made in the shade. And we begin to feel like, well, I've been a Christian a long time and I've gone to church and Read the Bible regularly, and I teach Sunday school, or maybe even go to the seminary and learn all of these things. So I'm I'm kind of teacher's pet, and uh, the rules that apply to everybody else don't they don't apply to me. I'm strong, I'm strong, and when we get that way, when we start putting I back up there at the first of the sentence, making it the subject, even as Christians we're setting ourselves up for a tragic fall. And it can happen. It may be the unique, peculiar, occupational uh, problem of the ministry. Well, we preach the Bible, we teach it, we sing it, we do all of these things. And, and, and you develop the ability to rationalize in such a way that you can baptize your vices and call them virtues. It's a subtle and insidious thing, but it can happen. I know it can happen. Uh, Let me give you an example, a personal one. Some of you maybe have heard me tell this story in the past. A number of years ago a friend was in town. It was a rainy, cold winter day and he needed to go to the airport. So I drove him to the airport about eight o'clock at night parked out there in the short-term parking and went in with him and said goodbye, and he left, and I went out to get in my car to leave. Well, when I went out there and got in the car, I got up there to pay, and I didn't have a dime. Nothing. And I, and this was, I can tell you how long ago it was, it only cost you 25 cents to park there for an hour. That, in, uh, in that, uh, short term parking. And I didn't have a quarter. And I got up there and the man pulled up to this booth and I said, sir, I can't believe this. I I, I didn't tell him who I was, didn't say anything about it. And he didn't acknowledge that he knew me or anything at all. Just like two total strangers. I said, uh, can you take a credit card? Well, they didn't do that in those days. No, can't do that. Will you take a check? He said, no, sorry. I said, well, will you take my watch? I'll give you my watch and I'll come back later and get it back from you. I'll go home and get a quarter. He said, no, no, i take your word for it. Go ahead. So I left. Went home, got home. I needed to work on the sermon. I mean, it was Saturday. And friend, I want to tell you something. Saturday for a preacher is like the day before D-Day for Eisenhower. You, you're nervous. I mean, you're going over that in your mind, over that in your mind. You're really not a very good family man during on Saturday. Martha's standing over there saying, Amen. I mean, she'll say something, and I'll say, mm-hmm, "Yeah, uh-huh." Well, I'm I'm off there in some sermonic nirvana somewhere, you know. Um, and so I got I went, got to the house, and I said, uh, "Boy, I need to study. I need to." It's bad night, you know. I'm out here. I could get a cold and wouldn't be able to preach in the morning. Went in. I. Martha said, "Bugner, you just got a call from Northeast Baptist Hospital. They need you." So I said, okay. I went out and got in the car. Went out to Northeast Baptist practicing that sermon all that time in the car. Got out there and came home. I don't know how long it had been, maybe an hour. Came home. Now it's about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And I went in there and I sat in my little place where I was going to go over that sermon. I got to thinking about that 25 cents I owed that guy. And I thought, Lord, you know that you want me fresh tomorrow, don't you? Uh, you don't want me to catch a cold so I can't preach. And Lord, you know how many times I've been ripped off by other people. I've pay, overpaid so many times that I've got, some, I've got one coming. Um, and he's probably forgotten about it. And he's already gone home. I bet he's already gone home. And the more I tried to think and pray about that sermon, the more it ate on me so i went in the other room i said martha have you got a quarter and i happen to have my own right here today just in case i have the same problem again i said martha you got a quarter i said she said what in the world do you need a quarter for i said i don't want to tell you just give me a quarter (laughs) and i explained to her what my dilemma was and so i got in the car raining cold went out there i didn't even pull into the parking lot because i only had one quarter so i stopped (laughs) i stopped on the street left the motor running my lights on put the flasher thing on and I ran across in the rain to that little booth thinking that he would not even be there. And I got there and he was there. And I said, sir, I'm sorry. i tell you what, I got home and I had to go to the hospital to see somebody and, and, uh, and I, I, I apologize for being late. He said, that's okay, Brother Fanning. I'd seen you on television and I've heard you preach. And I knew you'd come back. And I ran back to my car. And you know how you, your knees begin to knock sometimes when you nearly have a wreck? You just get scared? I nearly had a wreck. A moral wreck. I just sat there for a few moments and I said, thank you, Lord, for convicting me, for reminding me for not letting me pray myself out of a responsibility by some sort of satanic rationalization. And I thought, Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. I nearly betrayed him for a quarter. I was nearly a cheap Judas. 25 cents. You stay prayed up, and realize that God is the subject and we're always responsible to him and always to be open to him and always be in touch with him so that he will protect us and preserve us and give us joy. See, that's really what he wants to do. I came home on the cloud because I'd done the right thing. I don't know who said this, but it's a great quote. Religion says don't. Christ says do. Do. Christianity says, rejoice. Religion says, don't, don't, don't. Christ says, do, do, do this, do this, be this. And when we trust him and let him come into our lives, he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now I want to say a quick word about another prayer that I need to pray, and we all need to be reminded to pray, that will preserve us, preserve our relationship to God, and preserve our effectiveness in the world. In, in Romans one twenty-one, a remarkable passage of Scripture. First chapter of Romans is a the oh, the whole book of Romans is a great theological treatise, but. In the 21st verse, something jumped out of that verse to me, and I want to share it with you. Maybe it's appropriate for you as well as it is for me. Paul is here talking about what God has done. He says back up to the 20th verse, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his, you notice how he begins with God as the subject, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now here it is. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations or their thinking, another translation. And their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise, they became fools. They knew God. They knew about God. They knew the creative power of God. But they didn't honor him as Lord. And this little three-word phrase is dynamite. Or give thanks. If you and I keep putting ourselves first in the sentence, making ourselves the subject, we feel like that when we pray and we get something from God, it's because we prayed. Like we got Him to do it. We overcame His reluctance. We somehow were able through prayer to twist His arm to get Him to do what He wants to do more than we want it. That we somehow got the combination to the heart of God. That somehow I did it because I prayed. Our prayers are even initiated by God. And whenever anything happens in our lives, whatever the source we may think it to be, it is God who is the source. And our response is always to be, give thanks in everything. In everything, give thanks. The peril, the deadly peril of thanklessness. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to our Heavenly Father for us to be thankless. We take God for granted, His blessings for granted. Steve and I had a remarkable experience a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mike would have been with us, he was in Israel. But about 10 or 11 years ago, Steve and I were asked by Rosemary Bolte and some parents of cerebral palsied young adults in their 20s and 30s to make a TV f- film for them, seven or eight minute film, for COIL, Council on Independent Living. The parents of these severely handicapped young adults would someday have to be able to a degree take care of themselves because the parents would not always be here nor always able to take care of them. So we made the film. Well, really you did it. You paid for it because it was paid out of our, our budget and uh, the editing and the filming and all. And of course, Steve and I are on a salary. So it was not a money-making venture. It was a ministry. We do a lot of those. We've done 15 or 20 such films as, uh, like that. And I'll tell you more about some of them other times. But we made this film for COIL. And they used it to raise enough money to remodel an apartment building for handicapped, severely handicapped young adults. Now, they'd still have a public health nurse come daily or as needed because it was all set up for their protection and and they could live independently. They learned how to work a a computer. USAA taught them how to do some computer work that they could work for them. And uh, they could, some would use a pencil in their teeth to punch the, the, the keys on the computer. It, one of the most remarkable days I ever spent in my life with, with Steve was filming this film for Coyle. And the money was raised by various people in the community. It's wonderful. So the Boaties became close friends and uh, are often here in, in church. Brett is here today and I have his permission to tell you this story. Brett is a late 30s, early 40s. I don't know exactly how old Brett is, but he's about Steve's age. And he was very sick. He was in, ba- in, uh, in the hospital at uh, Brook General. And we got a call from Rosemary, his mother, that he was there and he was in critical care. And, and we went. He had just been released from critical care into a private room. We walked in. Rosemary was there and Brett. And uh, I want you, if you have time, to meet him afterwards. you sitting way back there at the back. And I want you to look at his eyes. And I don't say this to embarrass you, Brett, but I don't think I've ever looked into eyes like his. Believe they're eyes like Jesus had. Compassionate, understanding. Steve and I both remarked about it. You can't take your eyes off of his. And we talked, and Brett cannot talk. He has to communicate in other ways, other forms. We held hands and we prayed. And then we started to leave, and Rosemary said, he wants to say something to you all. And Rosemary said, Brett, do you want to say something? He said, yes. Nodded his head. He couldn't say yes. Clumsily nodding his head. He was looking straight at his mother's on the other side of the bed from Steve and myself. And she said, do you want to spell it? Yes. Is it the first half of the alphabet? No. The second half of the alphabet. First letter. Started with M, I believe. N-O-P-Q-R-S. Each one of those. No. Got to T. First letter's T? Yes. Second letter in the first half, the second half of the alphabet. First half... Yes. Started with A. H? Got to H? Yes. Rosemary said, well, I'm certain that the next letter is a vowel. Is, is it a vowel? Yes. Is it A? Yes. Couldn't say it. Just nodded. And she said, are you saying thanks to them for coming? and he nodded his head saying yes and he turned and looked at us I have seldom been so moved and Steve and I walked out of the room making it hard to talk and I I said uh, isn't it something those of us who can express ourselves so easily can speak so glibly Why is it so hard for us to say thanks? Why is it? Steve didn't respond. We walked along a few more steps and then Steve said this. It makes you wonder who's handicapped. He's not. Oh, physically, yes, but not spiritually. Why? It took at least three to five minutes for them to arrive at those first three letters of thanks. Why does it take us so long to say thank you, Lord, for saving my soul? Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation, so full and free. Say thanks. It will keep your mind from being futile in its thinking. It will keep your heart from getting dark. And it will keep you from thinking you're wise, when in reality we're fools. If we don't say, thanks. Bow your head and close your eyes. And I want every one of us to sing it. If not sing it, say it. And mean it from your heart. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Sing it.